you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. This is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the Big Circus Tent Podcast in the sky, filled with lions, tigers, and bears in Toto 2. Uh, welcome to the show, my family and friends. We certainly appreciate being part of the Chris Voss Show family. The family that loves you, but doesn't judge you, at least not as harshly as your mother-in-law. <laughs> so there's that as always put your arm around your friends neighbors relatives say you need to subscribe to the chris foss show because i need to find people on my mlm chris foss show downline no it's not an mlm but please do refer to the show youtube.com fortress chris foss goodreads.com fortress chris foss and linkedin.com fortress chris foss we just put the uh, latest billionaire interview out on the linkedin newsletter you really should subscribe to this or the chris foss show podcast newsletter you can subscribe to that as well that thing is blowing up though on linkedin that, that linkedin has got some stuff going on i hear some stuff it's really hot right now to quote zoolander uh anyway we're going to be talking about uh murdering murderesses on the show today we have patty mccracken a, a brilliant author she's uh, written her newest book the angel makers arsenic a wife a midwife and modern history's most astonishing murder ring she's on the show with us to talk to us about her new book came out march 14th is it march 14th yet i think it's uh comes out tomorrow wow that tells you where we're at uh we're having a bit of a comedy before the show uh patty pointed out that uh i was in the doldrums of depression and grief stricken with the uh daylight savings time conversion where we sprung forward uh, over the weekend and uh i said yeah i'm feeling under the weather i'm feeling kind of low and she says you're suffering from the eight stages of grief uh of the loss of an hour and uh, i realized that she is correct not only that is Monday, which is also another grief <laughs> loss. So I'm either in the stages of fear, anger, denial, acceptance, confusion, despair, contact, content, rules. I don't know what that means, and celebration. I'm certainly not in the celebration mode. I think I'm at confusion. So I think that's what we land on. Welcome to the show, Patty. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm also in, you know, some stage of grief at my lost hour. So, you know. There you go. We can cry together. Maybe we should have just a quiet moment on the show for a second so we mourn the loss of of <laughs> moment, of silence. <laughs> moment of silence for the loss. Moment of silence for the loss. There yeah. All right. Well, we don't have to give it a lot of time. I think just a little space there was good enough because it, it was only an hour. Right. Now, see, now I'm at the point of grief where I'm minimalizing it. And probably <laughs> denial. That's probably denial and minimalization. But anyway. For those of you who are uh, suffering from the loss and the grief and the stages of grief uh, for your last hour, we have uh, fine entertainment brought to you by Patty. Patty, uh, well, congratulations on the new book. Uh, this is an awesome real story that's going to be really interesting. I think you're going to love this, uh, folks, if you love true crime. Patty, give us your .com so people can find you or wherever you want people to look at you on the internet and get to know you better. Yeah, um, my name is Patty McCracken, so it's pattymccracken.com. There you go. And so you've written this new book. Uh, give us a, like a 30, uh, what motivated you want to write this book? Let's start with the who, how, where, where, and why. Well, I started with an article 
And actually, this is not my newest book. This is my first book because mm. it actually took me so long to write. Um, I could have probably written like three or four more in the time that it took me to write this one. But yeah, I wrote it as an article and I thought it was done. You know, when we're journalists, you sort of like, all right, move on to the next one. And this just wouldn't leave me alone. So I found myself at parties going, you know, <laughs> this, I wrote this weird article a year ago, a couple of years ago, three years ago. And everyone's like, that sounds like a book, you know? And you're like, yeah, but I don't write books. You know, I do 1500 words, 2000 max. And, you know, that caught up with me because... <laughs> 130 some thousand words later, you know? Yeah. So it just was one of those things where I couldn't put the baby to bed. She kept getting back oh. up again, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, story's done. It's done. Nope. It's not done. So, um, I, it wasn't done. And so I just went digging into the archives and decided, you know, if I'm going to stay up at night, I may as well stay up at night actually working on the story rather than thinking about working on it. There you go. So you're award-winning journalist. You've, uh, your articles appeared in Smithsonian, Wall Street Journal, The Guardian, many other publications. You worked in various newsrooms, including the Chicago Tribune, and twice a Knight International Press Fellow. So uh, what 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 uh, publication did you put this out on that got got the first going? And, and evidently it influenced a few other publications on the story and stuff as well. It kind of did. It actually was supposed to be um, slated for The Guardian and The Guardian uh, that's in the UK. And it was slated for their Sunday magazine. And I got bumped out because um, a, another paper that I had pitched uh, and didn't hear back from decided to run their own story. So they got I got scooped on my own story, basically. Wow. Yeah. And it ended up um, appearing in an obscure obscure. Nah, I don't even know if it exists anymore, and I don't remember the name of it. But it did get out there, and it did get the ball rolling in some weird ways that sort of the end of the story comes back. Um, but, yeah, it did get it out there, and it got the attention of um, did what it needed to do, and here I am today. Okay. So give us a 30-foot uh, overview of uh, what the story's about. Well, there was this midwife. Um, you got your little, you got your jammies on and you got your little bed. I'm going to tell you a bedtime story. All right. Oh, this sounds good. This, yeah. is, the one, this is the one where I'm, I'm not going to sleep for the rest of the night. Yeah, this is the one where you need to leave the, the mm. light on. I think we did those in the Boy Scouts. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. We have, I have to have the flashlight up. I'm ready. Let me grab my pillow here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, there was a midwife in a very small village in Hungary. And she would uh, trot over to the local uh, store and she'd buy a handful of um, flypaper and she'd go back home and she would distill arsenic from the flypaper. Took a long time. It was a painstaking process. And she would put the vials in her pantry and she would take, save one vial and put it in her apron pocket. So you imagine she's like a babushka. She would walk around in a, the babushka uniform and the apron. And she would go around to her neighbor women and she would say, why are you bothering with him? I have a solution. And she literally had a solution. And she would say, I can help you. I have a way, she would say. So she would go to women who she knew were having trouble, difficult situations in their marriage. I put it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she kept doing that. And she kept doing that. And there were actually other women in the village who were doing this. And there were actually other women in other villages in Hungary, villages in Austria. This was a quiet way to get rid of a husband that was abusing you. Wow. Um, but most 
most of the women, all of the women except Auntie Susie, were doing it to, as a compassionate thing to help their sister or their friend or their mother or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and weren't expecting anything in return. It was just a way to get out of a difficult situation. Mm-hmm. But with Auntie Susie, it was a business. She made a lot of money on it. Yeah, she did. Yeah. And, and, and you bill her as the uh, 1920s midwife who may have been the century's most prolific killer, leading a murdering of women responsible for the deaths of at least 160 men. That's quite a business going on there. Yeah. Well, you know, she didn't do it overnight. She was, yeah. you know, she did it. It happened over the course of the book starts in 1916. She started before then, but I, I can never pinpoint when. And it ends in 1929 when all when everything sort of came to light. But yeah, it happened over the course of um, some years. And she would, it was always the same method. And she would um, make a deal with them. And she would say, you know, you can give me half the money up front. Then another portion, um, not at the funeral, when he dies, and then another final portion six months after he dies. So she had a whole plan. She had a business plan for it, um, for better or for worse. This is interesting. You know, there's the old, what's an old line, arsenic and old lace? Yeah. There was a movie about it. Yeah, this is a real-life arsenic and old lace, except it's not arse, you know, but there definitely was that. And it, these were the, she was helping them get rid of, um, abusive husbands, you know, that's where it all starts and ends really. But as you see in the book, there are also some women who were nefarious. They were very, you know, they were out to just gain from this. So it was a really mixed. Everyone does keep trying to draw a straight line as to who are the good guys, who are the bad guys. And it's like everybody and nobody. I mean, there's no straight line in any of this. This, this happened in the sense that definite, definitely the reason it really happened and the reason it really took off was because of abuse and because there was nobody in the village also to either help the women get out of their mm. situation yeah. or to, and there was no police force in the village. Mm. So there was nobody sort of watching them and the village, the head of the village would, would be like the mayor uh, was absolutely uninterested in anything that was going on with the peasants he if it wow. didn't involve hunting and it didn't involve drinking he didn't want anything to do with it <laughs> so people were desperate to get his attention at a certain right. point they were figuring it out um and he was just like no 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 you you silly peasant stop complaining you're always making a mountain out of them all go solve your own problems mm. so they, they were pretty much left to their own devices whether it's yeah, excuse me, whether it be their husband that was abusing them or whether it be, you know, the murders that were going on around them that people were trying to report. Nobody was paying any attention. Wow. Now, some use the arsenic. Uh, you build it as inheritance powder. Uh, that's kind yeah. of interesting term. That is a, yeah, and it doesn't necessarily apply in my oh. story. It didn't really apply to the one. But the French used to call it inheritance powder. Oh, okay. So this is why I'm saying Nagarib didn't invent this as a means for murder, you know. Wow. They and Hungary didn't invent this as a means for murder. This was sort of a way to, you know, because women couldn't own property. Mm-hmm. And so, um, 
you can imagine a situation and let me be as compassionate as I can towards a woman who would be in that situation. If she loses her property, then she loses her means of living or something. Mm -hmm. You could imagine an extreme situation or you can imagine somebody more nefarious who just goes, Oh, (laughs) more for me. Now, how does this story come to light? Because, you know, we haven't, it hasn't been, it, it's kind of a, I think, a newer story. How, how did it come out? Like, it, uh, how did they discover this and, and stuff? And, and what, what sort of research did you have to do to, to put this together? Well, it came to light through anonymous notes. Mm. Finally, finally through anonymous notes. And there was also um, an attempted murder in a nearby village that sort of finally, you know, <laughs> wake up these police officers and get them to do what they're paid to do and get, wake them up to go, Oh my God, something's going, wait, what? You know? Um, So finally, and it was just this frenzy of activity. I mean, it was an absolute frenzy. And so all the people in the village were like, people, people in the village were like, they had never seen so many, what they called trouser wearing men, you know, men in the suits had just come in droves and taken over their village and put guards at the village. So nobody could leave unless, you know, wow. unless you burrow out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it was just absolutely taken over. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as the research goes, I mean, that's why it took me so long because there's yeah. a lot to look into. And I wanted to also look at, you know, the, research everything around it, you know, the village, what was it like, you know, and the other, everything that was going on in Hungary at that time, which was also an absolute circus of things going on at the end of World War One and stuff. But um, I did hire an assistant who was just an absolute gift. He was and is a historian of that specific region. And he knew exactly what I wanted. I had to get through a couple till I got him. He knew exactly what I wanted. When he started just going in through the details of like what movies were playing, I'm like, I found my man. I found my there man. You go. It was exactly what I need to get more, more information than I could ever need and just sift through what was going to be useful to me to there build back to life. Yeah. And this is interesting. The New York Times, I guess, covered it in uh, when the story came to light in the twenty nine in nineteen twenty nine. Was yeah. there a lot of detail that you were able to gather from them? There was a lot of detail. They weren't always accurate, but as mm. as that would happen, you know, like, um, but most they were mostly accurate. But it mm. was crazy. I mean, you imagine people descending on this village and this and the town where the trials were taking place they had to sell tickets to the trials because so many people wanted to get in wow um and the press was there from the new york times from german newspapers british newspapers french i mean it was just a, a mob an absolute mob there you go well uh, i've been single all my life and i think you just uh, cemented that i will stay single all my life after <laughs> this story so yes. now, now i'm not gonna sleep for sure yes, well, <laughs> Wine. Just watch the wine being poured. No source. <laughs> there you go. Well, I've had a few girlfriends look me dead in the eye after we were breaking up or after a breakup and said, if I could kill you, I would, just so you can't be with any other women. And uh, they were dead suck serious. Um, hell has no fury. Well, uh, so yeah. I've seen that. I've seen that look. Yeah. I'd say don't <laughs> use this as a user manual. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, yeah. yeah, and by, make- by the way, they don't um, have arsenic on flypaper anymore, so don't also <laughs> you're going to find any recipe there. So. 
I'm going to prepare my own drinks from here on out with all my girlfriends. That's what I'm going to do. Um, and a lot of a lot of husbands right now are getting really nervous. I actually joke with my husband friends. I'm like, I'm like, uh, he's like, oh, I don't feel well today. I'm like, it's it's the it's the arsenic your wife's putting in your, uh, in your coffee. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah. I mean, have you seen yourself? I mean, you're awful. You're a horrible husband. You're losing your hair. That's why. You're losing your hair. I mean, she wants to. She's. You know, I, I when we travel with my friends, we do like a big events together, and I'll be like, uh, I'll be like, hey, you know, like a wife will call or something, or my wife's not answering the phone or something. Like, I, she's probably with the pool boy, sure. and my friends will go, but we don't have a pool, and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the problem. She has a pool boy, and you don't have a pool. You get it? <laughs> right. She's either with the pool boy or plotting your murder. So exactly, which, both which is, probably. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. They're both probably plotting your murder. So. You'll end up drowning in the pool, and people won't go. Well, that's weird. That happened. He had a pool boy. Why didn't the pool boy save him? Anyway, uh, so I, I give my husband friends a lot of jokes. So now you give them a new terror to live by. Um, well, this is pretty insightful, and what a historic uh, story. The the interesting things that you do. So um, should we give away what happens at the end? There's a big trial, and and they and do they they flush out all these murderers and stuff? Yeah, there is. Wow. A, there's several trials, and. The trials happen in groups. And I think it was really like orchestrated. The prosecutor was brilliant. Mm -hmm. The prosecutor was absolutely brilliant. And while I was researching this, it was really fascinating because you think, oh, 100 years ago, how'd they do things? This guy could have prosecuted any case today in America. And wow. he would have done. they used the same tactics, you know? Mm -hmm. He knew what he was doing. He was a smart guy. He knew to make friends with... Um, one of his closest friends was a local reporter mm. and it really was a deep friendship, but it was also a calculated friendship because he knew how to contain the press. He knew who to feed it to and how, how it would sort of fan out. He knew exactly how to play it. And he also knew exactly how to play the trials and get what he wanted. And it was all really dramatic, but um, <laughs> he was, you know, full of flair. Um, very, very smart guy. He's mm -hmm. I think hungry. should be proud of him. But um, yeah, they tried him over the course of like a year and a half, really. And they did it in groups of groups of women who had some kind of connection and wow. to the deaths that they were doing, that they'd committed, the murders they'd committed. This is really interesting. I mean, like I said, when I first saw the book, I thought this must be a novel. And then the more I looked into it, I'm like, this is, this is for real, eh? Like people are really, <laughs> really doing this. This is for real, you know. And it was sort of like when somebody asked me early on, they said, well, you know, why did they do this? And it was more like why became why not, you know. If nobody's catching your sister-in-law who did it to her husband or, you know, somebody you grew up with, who did, nobody's catching them. And you're dealing with your husband who's beaten you. And, you know, you're like, well, I get away with it too because nobody's mm. been caught. And so they just started getting away with it. And, you know, it's the midwife seemed untouchable. Wow. And, and it's important also to note midwives were central figures in mm. villages in yeah. Europe. And they were also, they were the doctor. They were like practicing really high level plant medicine they were the doctor who couldn't get into the village. So they, you know, they were, she was fixing hernias. She was fixing headaches. She was everything to them. And she was also like a shaman. So they had a certain 
respect, awe, and fear of her because she sort of dealt with the spirit world as well. Mm-hmm. And this was typical not just of Auntie Susie, the midwife in Nagara, it was typical of all midwives in that point in Europe, mm-hmm. even you know up through World War I. So they were kind of scared of her too. So wow. the kind of, you know, she kept them on their toes, you know. So uh, in the in the in the uh, thing here it says 160 deaths, but I'm reading down below uh, it's it could have been anywhere from 600 to three or 60 to 300 deaths over 15 years. Is that the prosecutor felt that there were 162 men that he could dig up their graves and find arsenic in? Wow! He wasn't allowed to prosecute all those because they didn't have the money. It, you know, some of the women who would have killed him were already dead anyway by now, you know, because it wow. happened so long ago. So the courts put a stop on him that he could not dig past 20 years. <laughs> um, he felt the records would show that, that, that it went to 162. He wow. felt that it was possible that there could be 300 or more. Wow. That is crazy. This is this make a great movie. You know? Yeah. It this would make a great movie. We also had people, and this wasn't just Nagara. This, like I said before, it fanned out into other villages, you know, and there were other women doing it. So you can't really draw a line for Auntie Susie being responsible for 162 or 300. But yeah. you, the John Jack McCormick, the New York Times uh, reporter, said she brought wholesale murder to Nagara, and he's right about that. Wow, that is crazy, man. I mean, I, I would have been killed off a long time ago by my exes. I mean, my you, you, my biggest crime, according to them, in in most relationships, is leaving my socks and shoe and uh, underwear on the floor in the morning, um, and then uh, not committing. So there's that. But yeah, I would have been I would have been aced a long time ago just over yeah. that. Um, you, you leave that dirty underwear. Mm-hmm. You know, after eight, nine, ten days, it's enough to like you know. Where's the flypaper? Well, I don't wear it that long. I mean. It, <laughs> You know, I just set them on the floor in the morning in the socks. But it's always funny. They'll they'll pick up the 200 items from the kids uh, that are every day. But somehow I'm the, you know, I don't know. A lot, I, there's I a lot of issues with me. Stick. I just see a big stick with your underpants on the end of them. And you're pulling them and just like, <laughs> yeah, one day I made a giant pile of all the kids' things that were on the floor, or kids' things. And I, I was like, uh, so my four items here and these 200 items that were left on the floor here this morning, and I'm the I'm the horrific uh, boyfriend. You, you but, know you her know. answer to that? Her answer to that is, you're not a kid. <laughs> well, she did laugh really hard because I caught her. Uh, she was like, you go, you busted me. Uh, it, it was all negotiation. But in the end, uh, I, uh, you know, I'm probably never going to get married now that I can find it. <laughs> Again, can- bring your own bottle. You want yeah. and pour your own bottle. There's a there's a funny TikTok that they uh, thing that's going around where uh, after wives wives will bring their husband a coffee after they've had a fight, and he he like he like looks at her and goes, "You made me coffee and what? Why uh, and you what? Yeah. We just had a fight and he'll go out. Oh, I'm gonna go outside. And he'll, you know, he'll throw it out. <laughs> so out. maybe this is a real big thing that husbands are worried about. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you gotta. Men get a little bit nervous, and they're always sort of, yeah. Yeah. you know, like, what, what are you doing? What's going on? What's going there on? There you go. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Uh, yeah. Don't pit, don't make them angry. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, anything more we want to tease out of the book before we go? Um, 
I would say that, you know, it wasn't just the wine she would been. Auntie Susie wanted to say, um, she would always say, the first method, so you got to be careful anything you eat. She always liked to put it in something thick, like mm. soup, she would say. Oh. Yeah. So she would put it in wine because they were always drinking wine, and that was the easiest access to it. Mm. So I'd say be careful whatever you eat. So if you didn't, you know, if you need to sleep with the light on tonight, sleep with the light on. Mm -hmm. If I ever get married, I'm going to have one of those, uh, you know, like Putin had a taste tester. You know, yes. kings, kings have someone to test their food. I think that's what I'll have. Well, I think that's why you have kids is so that you feed the kids first and the kids <laughs> live. Then you, then you practice. go into your wife's cooking. So there's that. I don't know. Just joking. On, yeah. You practice on the, on the littles. Just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Feed Do some like to the dog, you know, make sure the dog doesn't croak over. And cat doing yeah there you go well this will keep my arsenic uh, husband joke and, and pool boy joke going for a lot years to come yeah. uh thanks patty this has been fun to have on the show and lots of great jokes we got out of it and of course i'm gonna have to go work the rest of the week through my stages of grief so I, i'm glad you brought that joke to light that was very funny yeah we we absolutely have to grieve this lost hour yeah it's, you know say goodbye do what you need to do hold space for it I think the service for the Miss Day will be held tomorrow on the podcast. We'll hold a whole full service. There'll be um, priests and probably some singing of pre of uh, uh, the, you know, at the chapel or something, and some sort of uh, memorial with an organ or something. We'll have on the show. That might be a whole show. Maybe we can make that happen. You can maybe do some chanting or something. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here today to mourn the loss of, <laughs> of yeah. Sunday of yes. an hour. Yes. <laughs> Uh, most people remember that hour. Uh, they were they did some video games. Some people got some extra sleep. Most people were extra sleeping, and uh, now that hour is gone. It's kind of like jet lag that just kind of lasts forever. And yeah. you're going to spend the next uh, what is it, six months or something, six months. wishing you can get that back. Yeah. Uh, just constantly wishing you get it back, and then you'll get it back, and then it'll get taken away from you. It's it's just a constant tease of you want it? Oh no, no, we almost had it. Oh no, no, no. There you got. It. Oh no, it's gone again. Um, but uh, yeah. So maybe there'll be a, a memorial service uh, next next podcast for tomorrow. But thank you. R.I.P. in a tombstone. There you go. There you go. We'll order one up and uh, we'll spend some time. I'll have to find I, how much is this going to cost. This might cost some money. It usually does to bury uh, an hour. I don't know. How big of a box do I need for that? Anyway, Patty, it's been wonderful to have you on the show and very insightful. Give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs. Yeah, I'm at www.pattymccracken.com. Uh, there you go. And thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. There you go. Lots of fun and great jokes. Uh, and an insightful uh, book of history. The one thing man can learn from his history is man never learns from his history. So damn it, people, start learning from your history already. There you go. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com for chess Chris Voss. Go to youtube.com for chess Chris Voss and our big LinkedIn networks and all the stuff we do over there. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. Don't give people arsenic. And we'll see you next time. Ha <laughs>